and welcome to the Copper Club podcast. I'm Nathan Joyce, and I'll be your host for my new dedicated South American podcast. Each episode, I'll sit down and talk to a new guest discussing the latest transfer news, up-and-coming talent, domestic action, and much more across the continent. My first guest for the podcast curtain raiser is Brazilian expert and football analyst Peter Pankowski. Let's kick things off. Welcome to the podcast, the first one for the Copper Club. How are you? Pleasure for you to be here. Yeah, pleasure for me to be here as well. And thanks for having me on. It's an enormous pleasure, actually, and an honor to be in episode number one, the debut. I'm doing fine. Great, actually. Perfect. Uh, That's what I want all the guests to come on and say. So, yeah, yeah, leading by example. But, (laughs) yeah, if you could just start by, for people who maybe not know you and your sort of love of work for South America, if you could just introduce yourself what you do and yeah sort of how you fell into following South American football so what I do is basically I work as a league analyst at Football Radar which is a London-based firm I cover predominantly Serie B Brazil football but in general it has been a passion of mine to follow Brazil in total including Serie A cover them for work whenever I can so my basically my my hobby is now my profession and as such I've been covering South America well, Brazilian football in general, but South America for a good three years now. And how I fell into it, it was pretty much, I didn't expect it to be like this because uh, when I initially joined the firm, you usually have to start off by watching football games, obviously, before moving on to different departments. And it's just that I started watching Brazilian football and I I just fell in love. <laughs> love at first sight, if you could say. It's just the romance part of it caught me on I've always wanted to be more hooked on South America rather than just European football you know the all because maybe my first like child experience of football how was the, the World Cup 2002 with Ronaldo winning the game against Germany so basically it was just that yeah I think you find that don't you a lot of people watch the World Cup get involved with the South American teams and then don't actually transition to the domestic leagues but when it comes around to the transfer window, people want to know about who is this player? Are they the next best yeah. thing? But this is the opportunity to get involved now. Look, the European summer, European season has finished. Um, it, the summer has come round, but look, the Brazilian leagues are in full flow. So now is yep. the opportunity. But we're here to sort of bridge that gap. And thanks for the introduction. But I think the first port of call is to talk about the news which broke on Tuesday night where Perinense's Vitor Roque has agreed to join Barcelona. I know you're a Chelsea fan, so that might have upset you a little bit that he's chose to go to La Liga, but um, what a deal. 40 million euros over three installments. Installments as well. Three yeah. installments, which is key. Obviously, I know people will be saying, well, how are Barcelona affording this? But um, it's an absolute snip in this market, if anyone has seen Vitor Roque. But yeah, if you just want to go in, um, weigh in with your opinion, put your heart to one side for your Chelsea um, reasons and sort of explain to our listeners as to why Vitor Roque is an absolute steal at that price. The fact the fact that they managed to pull it off in three installments, just, just uh, I'm shocked really. I guess just to quickly say, it was there was talks of Chelsea potentially getting Vitor Roque and I've rated him highly for what, about two years now because he burst onto the scene when, when I was covering Cruzeiro for Serie B a lot. And... There was a dispute, a financial dispute with him between him, his agent, and Cruzeiro. So he joined Paranaense on a really cheap deal. And since then, he's just taken off Libertadores' goals as well. Vital, vital for Paranaense. 
he's a great little striker. I've, I've I've written an article on him and I said that he's a girl two point two point oh in my opinion. And it's just the build in itself, the way he he could he looks. Well, I'm I'm not sure about centimeters. So we talking centimeters. You guys in five foot nine, I think. But he's what one seventy one seventy four something yeah, in that that's uh, right. yeah, range. Five nine. So so for that size, you usually expect a player to these days well at least not play as a striker but he's exactly that he out muscles people which surprises a lot of uh, uh people who haven't watched him like on a regular he he's very physical in that regard that he manages to shield the ball well he's possesses a great range of technique he could li- a little bit work on his finishing but i guess he's, he's still 18 he just he just recently turned 18 so it's, that will come with age and he's an all-around package. You, you ask for a major weakness, and I'd say, that, okay, fair enough. He doesn't he doesn't pick out his spots when it comes to pure finishing. He, he tries to be a little bit erratic, you know, just just shoot on goal and hope for the best. But again, he's eighteen. That will develop. You want some clear weakness where you say, oh, he can't do this, he can't do that. You're scared of transitioning to the top level. And if you look at the way he plays, you, you're not really seeing anything that big. He can play with his head. Obviously, he doesn't need to be challenged as much in order for that to come out successful because of his size. But still, for a player that size, you wouldn't expect him to nail headers on on a regular basis the way he does. He yeah. can use both of his feet. He can use both of his feet. He does. Honestly, the one thing I noticed whenever I watched him like is when he tries to dribble past people, which is another good skill set that he has. He can turn around and try and dribble past people. He. When he sees an opening for a shot, he doesn't he doesn't care which foot he's going to use, and that and that is something that has to be encouraged because when you have a striker that can be pedal like that, he he's a major trouble for any opposition, as regardless of where the pass lands on him, he can always shoot and try and find the, the back of the net. Yeah, you, you touched on like he's um, the way he sort of bulldogs and bullies defenders. I mean, that was evident to see in the. Recent South America Under Twenty Championship, where obviously he was back in his own age group, but still a couple of years short at the time. But the way he just bullied defenders throughout that tournament, six goals, joint high score with Chelsea's Andre Santos, just goes to show that yes, he can do it at that level. But he's brought that into his own game, and as you touched upon there with the Copa Libertadores, he started the final last year, age seventeen, and yeah. Philip Scala- Philip Scolari was manager there. And if he's seen something at that age, then it's definitely something to to take note of so how do you well, how do you feel like again Chelsea opinion aside how do you feel the fit will be with him going to Barcelona personally I, I feel that a move to La Liga is probably better for him obviously yeah, there's, a, there's a structure in place there they obviously there's a lot going on behind the scenes with Barcelona but there's a project in place right and on the footballing level like on the playing field there La Liga seems to fit and it may be an easy approach for him to adapt rather than going to the Premier League, where if he was to sign for Chelsea, who would be in charge in a couple of years' time? Uh, in a couple of years' time, would they still fancy him? That's probably the questions in the back of his mind. But Barcelona, yes, they have dipped recently. But how do you, you can't say no to Barcelona when they come calling? And obviously, he's more than happy to sign for them. But yeah, just explain your opinion here as to why you feel that like that could be the perfect fit. I mean, he's Brazilian. At the end of the day. Brazilians just love Spain, like Real Madrid and Barcelona, they're bread and butter. Um, to me, it's a perfect fit. To me, it's honestly a perfect fit. So, reason being is that he joins a young core, likes of Gavi, 
Pedri as well. well the different age groups, yes, but there's still a young core that's being built up right now. And then he gets to be an understudy to one of the greatest strikers of our generation, which is Robert Lewandowski. And the fact that he's going to come in at such a young age, Lewandowski is 34, if I'm not mistaken right now. So he'll slowly but surely start to decline. That's the moment where you start integrating Vitor. Okay, Spain is a little less physical than, say, England, a little less a little less robust, if you could put it like that. And that, to me, as well, the the fact that he joins... Well, he would have joined the Brazilian contingent to an extent in, in Chelsea, but he's still... He's got Rafinha next to him. Other Like, the, the sole heritage... He, you could see, you could turn to say Romario. You could turn to say Rivaldo. There's always like young players always turn up to these, um, and especially in Brazil, they look up to these players in a very big way, and and they could help him settle a lot faster within Barcelona rather than within the structure of Chelsea. And as you said, the turmoil in the London club is not ideal right now, and I suppose that would have been one of the factors in which he probably took, well, under consideration to reject Chelsea. Whether he rejected them formally or not is another story. Yeah, and like you said there, like going to Lem- under Lewandowski, away from the coaches and everything, is you couldn't get a better striker in Europe has to learn your trade, right? And obviously, he's he's the way he's developed already at the age of 18, how strong he is, he's small but so good in the air. And the way he bullies defenders, I don't think that will be an issue. And the transition to La Liga, like you said, Seems to be the perfect fit. Hopefully, he gets up and running from from the very beginning. We know how people are going to be like with this transfer. I think putting a tweet out last night about it, there are a few people jumping onto it saying, like, is he really that good? We hear this all the time. But this one feels like a little bit of an exception. When he made his debut for the national team back at the end of March against Morocco, he was the second youngest since, 19, or since 1994, was the youngest to make his debut since Ronaldo so naturally there's been some comparisons I feel like that's probably a little bit of a media hype drawing comparisons to Ronaldo but the fact that that record hasn't been broken in 30 years um, says a lot itself and yeah hopefully he can go and burst onto the scene and really show Europe what he's all about and that fact that that 14 million euro transfer deal over three installments which we'll keep banging on about um it could be the signing of the summer already. Yeah, I mean, you could you could just when when I was covering Cruzeiro for when they were here in the Serie B, so that means a little bit more extensively than when they're in the Serie A. You could say like he he was sixteen years old, and there was they always um, global or various different sources that Brazil have uh, always post like articles about young players, and there was there was just this huge article that said. When you click Google Translate, obviously, you just said Cruzeiro's base jewel, Vitor Roque, is now on the scene. And that was just because he made the bench. And then there were compilations of his game, and I was just watching and saying, okay, fine, that's youth level, obviously. Hmm. You get that all the time in Brazil. And then I swear he made his debut, and I was I was just shocked. He came off with an injury, if I'm not mistaken, because he just tried too hard to just impress. But he was... You could tell there's a player there. You could tell there's a player there. It was similar to, to Rodrigo in a way when he burst onto the scene for Santos a couple of years back. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely one to keep an eye on. And uh, from one special player to another, yes, Chelsea missed out 
on Roque, but they have signed Ecuadorian 16-year-old Kendry Paez. Peter, I know you're particularly excited about this deal. Explain why this one also is slightly different because Chelsea, yes, they do seem to sign everyone these days. And like I said, these youngsters coming across, people always want to know, are they actually any good? Is he just going to be sent on loan? Um, But hopefully, well, if anyone watched the Under-20 World Cup would know that that is definitely not the case. So he scored his first goal in the Ecuadorian Premier League when he was 15, uh, made his debut in the Libertadores a day before he was 16, away to Corinthians. He's gone off to the World Cup with Ecuador. He scored, he, he scored, uh, made two assists. He was actually the youngest goal scorer at the Under-20 World Cup. And he also won the penalty against South Korea um, in the final, well, in the round of 16 before Ecuador were finally knocked out. But that was still four years um, above his age grade. And he went there and dominated. So, yeah, let's let's have your view here on Paez and, and why he will be worth the wait in two years' time. I mean, I could put it like this. When when Hendrik was making his debut in the Copinha uh, two years ago, was that people were raving about a 15 to 16-year-old absolutely destroying players at 20, 20 years of age. And those were players that maybe tomorrow or the day after, like, hypothetically speaking, may either not play football or be involved at amateur level. This is the under-20 World Cup we're speaking of. And this is a player who just turned 16, who is absolutely destroying teams. I'm shocked that Chelsea pulled off this deal. I really am. It's just, I can't hide my excitement. I think it's showing already. (laughs) Because it's just, it was a shock to me. Because um, when he was when he was initially bursting on, so I don't I don't watch Ecuador as much, obviously, unless it's teams in the Libertadores. But there are certain talents in in a similar way to Brazil that just get mentioned in the media that you get your attention from. For and Kendry was mentioned a lot, and they were saying Independiente del Valle, they've got this great young player, he's going to make his debut soon, and I was saying, okay. Probably a 17, 18-year-old, a bit like, say, Brighton's Bonanote or other players that of, of similar age brackets. They'd say, he's 15. And I just read it and I, I scrolled back and said, he's 15. He's going to make his senior debut at 15. And then he made it. And I was sitting there just grabbing, like, this atrocious... Uh, I, I downloaded it from Insta because I have access to it. I just mm. saw, like, little bits and pieces of his game. There and I was just saying, no way is this guy fifteen. There's, there's absolutely no way this this youngster is fifteen, because at that age he already looks like well, not the finished product, but physically he's developed to play at that level, and that's something that not every fifteen year old, not any fifteen year old can brag about, because you're you're put in a position where you suddenly transfer from one age group which is under sixteen or under eighteen level, give or take what your current level of ability is. And you suddenly have to play against seniors, vets, people who don't absolutely care about... You already have players that don't care about your wealth, uh, sorry, health when you're playing against them when you're at that level. And now you're at an even bigger level where nobody cares if you're a wonder kid. Everybody's out there trying to win the game. Nobody's going to protect you. Nobody's going to try and not hurt you. They're going to try and stop you. And he was just playing at midfield with just such technical elegance, such dribble. He, he had the confidence... Even in the way he speaks, a couple of days ago he gave an interview where he was mentioned and said, "I'm not, I'm not Lionel Messi. I'm Kendry Pires. I'm gonna make hmm. the, I'm gonna make the name for Ecuador." 
and it's I was just statement. sitting there like that's maturity as well and you're just mm. seeing that in a 16 year old kid coupled with amazing ability like at one position if he plays a centre midfield then he moves a little bit further up dribbles past people not makes people amazing vision technique the, the one assist that he uh, provided he stopped so he he got past the person like literally right on the goals uh, on the goal line for uh, um, a goal kick stopped the ball there chipped it Perfect, like perfection. Like you're seeing that, and you're seeing, and you're thinking you're watching the old uh, Jogo Bonito videos from uh, 2004 with uh, Ronaldo and Ibrahimovic, and you're just looking at that and like, oh, okay, something's there, and it's not just something. I really can't hide my excitement. I think it's fairly obvious. <laughs> that, yeah, it is fairly obvious. And when he first signed, I tried to piece an article together, and I tried to do this about a lot of players who come over to Europe and try in a paragraph or two to sum up their best assets or the best strengths. And as you've just listed there, there was almost too many to sort of list. I, I think I could sort of narrow it down and try and say something different to what you've done in terms of he's, he likes to, he operates in the middle. He likes to operate on the right and he's being left footed there. He's sort of like, he's worth his weight in gold in that position because he's almost so unpredictable as to where he's going to go. And there's, the two parts of the game I really like, which have sort of gone underrated, is the fact that he does like to drop deep, pick up the ball, he can spray it, but then automatically he's chasing the ball, wanting to be on it, because in and around that 18-yard box, I sort of compared his vision and the way he sees passes at, to Ozil's when he was at Real Madrid, in the terms of, and I know people probably listening to this saying that that is a big name to live up to, and the kid's only 16, but he just seemed to be like a step or two ahead of his teammates, uh, the opponent, sorry, and even his teammates at times, to be fair, they, yeah. they've had to sort of adapt to his level and predict runs before the ball's even played when it's normally the other way around. So he's obviously, it's two years away before he can join Chelsea. Um, it, with IDV, he's still in the Libertadores. They've qualified. So any Chelsea fan or people who are interested can still watch them progress in the round of 16. If they're not going to sit up and watch the Ecuadorian Premier League, you can still watch them in the Libertadores. He played 20 minutes against Corinthians before he went off to the Under-20 World Cup. Came on. They did lose that game 1-0, but they even created, like, even when YouTube created highlight reels, even his 20-minute cameo made an appearance just for, he didn't do anything exceptional, but like you said, he's, he's just, his calmness and his aura about him in tight situations. Going away to Corinthians, yes, they haven't performed well this season, but it's a very intimidating venue to go to and play football, let alone the day before you turn 16. But he was just, turning out of pockets, playing his usual game. And I think that was just a huge indication of how he's going to progress. And yeah, under the right management and the right team. I mean, where is he going to fit in at Chelsea? I know two years is hard to predict, but where do you sort of envision him fitting into Chelsea? Where is his best position for him to progress and step up and be one of the best players in world football? Mm. Well, that's a tough one. My personal, just just so I mentioned, my personal uh, comparison to him would be Kaka. Honestly, for some reason, I just see him like that because of all the the overall package that he has. Um, well, I would ideally, I'd probably hope for Enzo Fernandez to still be at the club if everything's settled. But given the lifetime contracts Chelsea are hanging out, he probably will be. So him next to Enzo Fernandez in a pure, a more pure defensive midfielder is probably where I ideally see him. Say a four-three-three. I wouldn't, I wouldn't try and shoehorn him in the right wing position, even though he could technically play it, as you mentioned. 
I think he's more of a central midfielder and a number 10 rather than anything else. And as such, I think you, you just got to give him that creative freedom to, to, to do whatever he really pleases. And obviously, he's going to need time to settle in. He's going to need time to integrate to a different um, environment. But to me, that's where I'd ideally place him, the right-hand side of a three-man midfield. That's where I'd see. Whether that will be possible then, who's in charge... Again, given Chelsea, I'm not really sure what I can tell you. <laughs> I knew it was a difficult question, but I just thought like the listeners might want to know exactly where he's going to drop in. But yeah, yeah that... it's probably a conversation to revisit, probably a month before he joins the club. But um, yeah, comparisons to Ozil and Kaka, it's fair to say that Chelsea fans can get pretty excited about that. And hopefully we don't get clipped up in a few years' time and we've got yeah. this completely wrong. But I, I really don't think we have. Uh, don't worry. I, I will... I got on the Andrew Kaib a bit too fast saying that he's probably be the better talent than Neymar at 16. When I saw him at the Copinha and I There's was really, really adamant, really adamant that that was true. And now that he's struggling at Palmeiras, I'm sitting here like, oh boy. <laughs> Someone's going to find my old tweets someday and I'm going to be absolutely brutal. Just go through and delete them. It's all good. Yeah, it's, it's, now's my time. Now's yeah. my time, honestly. Um, so, look, from one attacking player to another, um, we'll quickly talk about Flamengo's Matias Franca. Linked with Arsenal. There was a rumoured bid to go in. I'm not 100% sure how true that was, but um, he's only 19 years of age and he's been talked about a fair bit. Um, with that Arsenal link, I think it's fair to give him a little section here. Um, what's your thoughts on the 19-year-old? Is it uh, Flamengo fans can be pretty ruthless. If he has one poor game, he's not worth the fee. And then the next game, if he does one decent assist, his 15 million fee should have a zero on the end of it. So, look, what's your opinion on the 19-year-old? Flamengo fans are ruthless. You, you just mentioned it there, like nail on the head. You just you don't take you don't take the opinion of Brazilian fans sometimes seriously because they're just so. Their expectations are too high. Uh, I like Franca. I think he's he, he made his debut a year and a half ago, pretty much, at two. At 17. Since then, he's been developing really, really well. And now under Sampaoli, he's, he's been involved a lot more. He's been trusted, which is encouraging. And it has to be noted as he's, he's benching players like Everton Cebulino. So that's, that's one thing to mention. Um... The honest, the honest opinion I have of him is I'm just wondering whether he's better off as a ten or on the wings. Honestly, that's 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 my biggest concern with him because I've seen him sometimes bench Gerson in order to rotate him. As mentioned, sometimes when the side moved to four two four, he plays on the wings. He's a very creative, uh, skillful attacking midfielder to me, and although maybe a bit more can be desired at times of his passing I think he still has the vision don't get me wrong but he's not in the most creative player in that position in general that being said he's really he's really skillful on the turn he he he's dynamic those 1v1s he can take on players with is is something not every player possesses and when you combine that with speed and speed of dribbling then then you have a really dangerous player on your hands I mean given that Arsenal already bought Marquinhos and Martinelli a couple of years back from Ituano and they were even in the fourth division. So that's that's um I wouldn't be surprised if they make they make him work in their setup, give him time to develop, etc. But honestly, I, I kind of like the Newcastle link more because I think he he'd benefit from someone like Eddie Howe developing and developing him in 
in those positions because he's noted to do the same with Joe Linton in the way moving his position, playing him more in midfield rather than the striker position he used to occupy before. Yeah, I um, think it's still trying to figure out his position. Like you said, he's come into the team. It's been a year and a half, two years with the senior team now. Don't forget, in the last eight months, there's been three managers at the helm in Flamengo. So he's fallen in and out of favour. And like you said, like the Flamengo fans and the environment can be an intimidating place to play whether you're playing for Flamengo or the opponents. And it's interesting that you touch on his position because when he plays on the wing sometimes, he can just completely drift out the game and he has been pulled in like the 50th, 60th minute. And then that's when you're hearing the bad feedback about him. So it's interesting that you touched on Eddie Howe being the right development for him because I feel Arsenal, Arteta, the way they develop young players and their style of play, if they are going to get the best out of him, could be the right environment for him. But... I do feel that, he, yes, he's only 19. He's still very much learning his trade. He's nowhere near the levels of Roque and Paez in terms of development. But that doesn't mean that there isn't the possibility that he, he can kick on and perform in Europe and the Premier League. But I do feel that he needs to take that sort of jump a little bit sooner rather than later because I don't feel like he's getting the best out of his time at Flamengo. I'm not sure what you think about that. But um, I think just because of how the fans are in and out of the team. No one's really found his actual position. It's probably time now to find a team who can pinpoint his best assets and utilise them before, before... I know it sounds ridiculous to say before it's too late, but these things can happen with youngsters. Yeah, absolutely. I, well, Flamengo fans usually kind of tell him that he's a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none type player. And I do tend to agree exactly, to an extent, to an extent, obviously. I'm not... I'm still. I still think he has great potential, and you can tell you don't get such technique at that age and just look out of your depth. But if I'm honest, maybe he's one of those players where you you'd rather him make the jump to a slightly smaller team, and then become the the finished article. Just pick out your team correctly and the management that can develop you. But I'd I'd rather see him in the number ten role. If I'm honest, I think centrally is more his bread and butter rather than on the wings, as you mentioned as well. Yeah, definitely. Definitely want to keep uh, an eye on and see if Arsenal do dip their toes back in the market with that one. It has gone a bit quiet of late, but it's only the beginning. And all the transfer window hasn't even opened, has it, right? And we're already talking about these. So um, last player I'd like to bring up for this episode is Sao Paulo's Pablo Maia. He's been linked with, well, Newcastle, West Ham, Nottingham Forest, and but also a move to La Liga with Atletico Madrid. He's only 21. He's into his second season as a defence midfielder for Sao Paulo. Um, what's your thoughts on Pablo Maia? Um, I, I like Pablo Maia. To, I still prefer other players to him in terms of there's there's a certain defensive midfielder from the Fluminense. We'll get to that, I suppose, uh, who I slightly rate above him, slightly being the keyword. But I think he is one of a number of midfielders right now in Brazil that have just popped up out of nowhere and started developing at a rapid pace. And I'm not surprised that he's playing well because he's really, he's, he's, how can I put it? He's so dynamic. He, he, he gives 120% all the time. Like you could see that, that with him. I do think that there's one weakness in this game. That's maybe his passing ability. I don't think it's at the level of say, Andre, Joao Gomes, well, obviously Joao Gomes and say Danilo weren't exactly defensive midfielders, but 
respectively for the side they were playing at. That, that's what the role they were tasked with. So I wouldn't say his passing is at, at the, that level, but it's still decent. And his defensive capabilities, along with ball-carrying ability, which is something the others may not possess at the same time. Yeah, well, he's, um, as you, like you just said there, with his, his ball-carrying, he's... The word I've used to describe him is a bit more of a bulldozer. He can carry yeah. the ball forward, but he's not the most skillful player. Every time there's a link to a Brazilian player, everyone's expecting this creative flair. You won't get yeah. that with Pablo Maia. He's very much um, what you see is what you get, but the way he can carry the ball forward and then, yes, I, I agree with you on, the, on his passing game, but his two-star assets are carrying the ball forward, bulldozing, using his strength. He's very strong for his age. But yeah. what he is fairly good at is pushing up in high positions but not going to ground he's very much like a he can't like you said with that 120 percent, he carries on that bulldozing approach but because he never goes to ground it means he's not vulnerable if he if the other opponents go on the counter attack so that's a, a beautiful asset you want from your defense midfielder and like teams like nottingham forest who set up with two defense midfielders he could probably slot into that particular role but Although Forest are interested, teams like Atletico Madrid are interested. So it's maybe a little bit more of a difficult decision for him. But yeah, it's um, he's definitely a working project. Like you said, he's only come onto the scene in the last couple of years. Um, do you see a move happening for him this summer? I wouldn't be surprised, honestly. I think he stays, to be honest, until January. Maybe if he moves, it would be a similar case to Andre, where he'd rather move in January than right now. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't really be surprised. And as... I was actually going to touch upon that as well, that a lot of these new midfielders that are coming on from Brazil, from Brazil are basically so complex that they have, they have... They're also defensively very defensively minded, but at the same time, they, they, they can carry the ball well, pass well, at least to an above average to good uh, level. And that's something to be admired because you've got all these that uh, I mentioned a little bit before. And Pablo Maia is no exception to that as well. He's, as you mentioned, bulldozing people, but the fact that he doesn't go to the ground... Is perfect because you don't get caught on the transitions, and that, or at least if you get caught, you know that he's not gonna just go to ground, not say get get passed by, and then you suddenly have numerical superiority for the attacking team, and that's even worse. And that's one of the key traits when it comes to defensive midfielders. I would even class him as a defensive midfielder. He, to me, he's more slightly box to box. He's just more defensively minded, but. I think he can materialize. I think Atletico Madrid especially have dipped their toes in the South American market a lot these these past few years with Renan Lodi, with Nahuel Molina. Um, and and that's and I wouldn't be surprised to see him end up there because they do tend to need a midfielder in my opinion. And he can work anywhere. It's just most to me it's just about development with him. If you can touch upon his strengths, if you touch upon his weaknesses, in the correct way, you're you're going to get a great midfielder. Even if you say you don't get a midfielder who's going to turn into a 100 million pound player, you're going to get a midfielder that's going to do you the job to the best of of his possible of his capabilities, and that's you never turn that down at the end of the day. Yeah, 100. percent And look, he's he's not going to get you 10 goals a season, but he has added a couple of goals. Yeah, to his resume well. this season, including an unbelievable strike against International at home, which is definitely worth uh, checking out after this podcast. But you've brought him up a few times. I did say Pablo Mar will be the last player we talk about, but you've name-dropped Andre from Fluminense a couple of times. I can't let you not speak about him. You, I'll, I'll do a plug for you. You did publish 
a really good in-depth article on him for breaking the lines. Um, just explain to our listeners why Andre is uh, the player. I think he's just going to be the next the next midfielder to come out of Brazil, and it's going to surprise people because he's always he's a great young defensive midfielder. I can't put it into words. I just like him because you don't get a player who idolizes Felipe Melo at the end of the day. You just don't. Nobody idolizes Felipe Melo, but he does. And even though he idolizes Felipe Melo, this doesn't mean he's a he's a monster that gets about. Well, he does have a problem picking up silly yellow cards, yes, but they're mostly tactical rather than just those types of challenges that Felipe Melo is rem- remembered for. But he's young. He's very technical. He knows how to cover areas. He knows how to dribble, play out of the press, break the lines as well. On a couple of occasions, he's had to. So he's he's tasked playing next to Mateus Martinelli and. Um, Ganso, who's had a resurgence in his career and one of the, if not the best teams in South America right now, which is uh, Fernando Diniz's Fluminense. And he's the one tasked carrying the ball from from the from the lower zones and from the centre-backs to further forward. And at the same time, he's the one tasked with the defensive duties and he never shies away from those. He's, I'd argue he's, bar Herman Cano, who we're probably going to mention at a later po- point in this podcast, um, He's probably the best player Fluminense have right now. And he's just 21. He he burst onto the scene. Nobody expected him to have this resurgence. Like at the time where he was making his debut, there were other midfielders ahead of him. There were other youngsters ahead of him. He was touted to go to the Serie B, which is rarely a good thing for a young midfielder because you don't get as much chances. Or if you do, you're always going to be discarded the moment something goes bad. And as such, he's he's just so elegant on the ball. He's great. And when when you talk about a defensive midfielder, you expect challenges, covering your ground, being able to not be beaten 1v1, which is something he rarely does, even though, again, just like Vitoroki, he's short. You'd expect him to be out-muscled. That almost never happens. He, he manages to get past his opponent, never goes to ground as well. I very rarely, rarely see him going to ground unless it's a 50-50 ball that he just would rather win on the tackle and then collect, get up and start moving with it it's just such a complex package he's not Kendry Pia's level of wonder kid don't get me wrong but he's he's got everything in his locker that you want from the modern day defensive midfielder ball carrying ability defensive capabilities 1v1 protection able to shield the back line slot in deep if you need him to and say plays the central center back in the back three like just positionally when the ball has to be carried out or anything else of sorts yeah, you said that. You I feel like a lot of people will look at... He, look, he got 10 yellow cards last season and people are going to look at defensive midfielders and think, oh, 10 yellow cards, is he mature enough? But people need to remember this is Brazilian football and like you said, this is a lot of tactical fouls as well because he, he, he rarely goes to ground. When Fluminense attack, they attack in numbers, right? But with Martinelli next to him, Martinelli and Andre, they have such pace. They are able to nick the ball back and because Fluminense play with so many players forward... That's the ideal pairing for them to have so much, so much pace, win the ball back, and then you've got so many players still in attacking position. So I suppose that rolls on nicely to talking about Fluminense, and we can talk about the other teams and the Libertadores and their chances, but let's let's focus on Fluminense. And you said the best team in South America at the moment with Herman Cano scoring what appears to be in absolutely every game at the moment. Um, your thoughts on Fluminense, what they can achieve this season, and why they are the best team in South America at the moment. 
I mean, it goes to show when Flamengo fans are scared of them to an extent. <laughs> because we, we're probably going to touch on Flamengo as well, but on paper, they're the best side in South American football as well. But that's on paper. On the field, Fluminense, they've just been different. Like the way they attack. Dennis has outright transformed that team. Honestly, like they've, they've recruited smart. They've integrated smart. The players that are in the squad right now have developed in a way that you want them. Herman Cano, uh, Herman Cano has mentioned, has just slotted in since his poor season in the Serie B with Vasco. But I think that was largely a Vasco problem rather than him, him being of any problem. And it goes to show that when you manage to create a squad in the way that Dinesh has, it's just it can have a magical effect on your team. The way they attack, as you mentioned, the attacking numbers, the, they, they, they overlap, like the fullbacks overlap sometimes. Then you have Ganso making the complete resurgence in his career, looking like the Ganso that was supposed to grace Europe one day and with his offensive skills. John Arias as well has been phenomenal, phenomenal on the wings. You've got youngsters like John Kennedy as well, who's making his debut recently. He's he's 21, so he's a bit of a late bloomer in terms of Brazilian terms in youngsters, but he's still been very, very impressive to me. And I'm not surprised that he's having such an effect in, in, in that setup and basically being the other winger could to John Arias at some point. Like they do rotate. And I'm not, I'm not really surprised that they've, They've been put in such a position. Yes, they're not they're not the getting as as good of results as they could be in the Serie A, but in the Libertadores they're absolutely flying. And I think there will be even now when the knockout cup comp, uh, when the knockout competition rolls up and you've got two games to to play, it's basically going to be a situation where they prioritize those. I feel because a lot of people underestimate um, just how hectic. South American football schedule is, and this year has been even worse. Games every two to three days on a regular for the past two months. I'm even surprised they finally have a break. That almost never happens for national teams. They do have a break for national teams for two weeks now. Yeah, I think they've um, definitely caught teams out, especially in the Libertadores. That, that we've mentioned that they attack in numbers, but if you sort of go deeper than that, say for example, Fluminense have a goal kick and they're targeting the left-sided area. They have they play with you've mentioned wingers, but at times you don't even you don't see that because what's really interesting and really unique, maybe they might get caught out at some point in the season, but we've already touched upon with Andre and Martinelli having pace and sitting behind the defence, they have that added protection, but they all seem to crowd a certain area and there's just fifty, sixty yards where there's no player on the right hand side if the ball's played to the left and they try to play with quick tick attack of football but effectively, and it's direct through the middle to Hemencano, who often puts it in the back of the net. How do you go about dealing with that? Because even if you are breaking on the counter, we've pulled out, pulled out already Andre, Martinelli, and the four in behind. They do have numbers there, but seem to look like they're playing with 12 men at the time. The way they crowd certain areas and bully their way through, I think it was a couple of times we saw against Flamengo in their 4-1 victory recently, it was the fact that Flamengo just seemed completely stunned as to what they were dealing with and couldn't cope, which is why they are probably scared of potentially losing the Libertadores title to a team like Fluminense. Um, so, yeah, it's it's completely unique. I'm not sure whether it will get caught out, but even if you can figure something out, I don't know how you can stop 
the attacking prowess they currently have. Yeah, absolutely. It's just all the different weapons of different shapes and sizes, if you could say it like that. You you, you have various different ways for them to to beat you. They they do tend to they do tend to make like these little triangles where they could just overcrowd overcrowd the opponent, create that numerical superiority that I mentioned, and just bo like the balls carry then. And suddenly you're found in a situation where it's just a lot of empty space and boom, you're, you can find something, whether it's through the middle, whether it's a pass on the wings, the opportunity is just there to create a dangerous attack. And I'm, I'm not, I, at some point they will be found out perhaps, yes, but still, how do you cope with it when you, you've got a player for almost every position playing so well at the moment? And how do yeah. you see them progressing in the Libertadores? They were dark horses, outsiders at the start of the tournament. I, that, that surprised me from the off. I, I thought they should have been in the top two or three in the betting. They were nowhere to be seen. Now they're in and behind the favourites, but still Flamengo, uh, uh, for some reason, out in front. Yes, in recent weeks, they have started clicking and getting things together domestically. Um, but they've had a couple of shockers in the Libertadores. How do you see it playing out as well? We're one game away from the knockout stage. Both teams are through. But how far do you see either team going? Are Flamengo capable of back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back Libertadores? Or is it a bridge too far? I wouldn't be surprised if I'm honest. It's just Flamengo have such a great squad. Like on paper, they have such a great squad when you think about it. It's just... They're the highest, they're the richest club in in Brazil, and that's for a reason. They bring in, yes, they bring in big names that sometimes may not gel. We've seen that with any club in the world, but they're still so good on paper. Like that side should comfortably. That side probably gives a fight to any current Premier League team right now, and I'm serious. They probably do that. Maybe not the top teams. Okay, fair enough. Maybe Man City, Arsenal, they'll they'll probably see too many weaknesses in their game and definitely exploit them. But maybe it's a testament more to Premier League quality being a little bit lower these days. But Flamengo are a great team on paper to me. And, and as we've seen at times, it doesn't... like Having a team be good in a cup doesn't automatically mean you're good in the, in the league. It's a longer period. It's different teams different approaches yes obviously you still have different approaches in cup games but they tend to be a little bit more open it's just a one-off game you know you have to be take be it less or take more risks it just depends on the game plan and yes they as you mentioned they have only recently started clicking but they do seem to be clicking quite well for, for now it's just whether they can carry on this form for another couple of months I, I have my doubts as well. I don't I I don't expect them to win it for some reason. I just I just feel different that teams have more of a chance. Hell, even to me, Palmeiras have a slightly bigger chance to, to surprise people and just turn it around automatically, even though they're winning marginal marginal scores. Yeah, because if you I had a little look again, just to refresh myself of the two thousand two two thousand and twenty two, sorry, the <laughs> Teams Flamengo actually played on the route to the final and, and winning the back-to-back Libertadores. Group consisting of Peruvian Sporting Crystal, Chilean Outfit, Universidad Catalica. And then in the knockout stage, they went through by playing... Um, oh, bear with me here. Obviously, Perenense in the final. They then had 
Corinthians, Deportes Talima, round of 16, Vélez Sarsfield in the semis. None of them, and obviously Corinthians, didn't score a goal against Boca and relied on penalties to go through over two legs and then didn't score yeah. a goal again against Flamengo losing 3-0. But Flamengo didn't really bump into anybody on their way. Like, obviously, we don't know just yet who they're going to be facing. But I feel... And then, obviously, in the final, Perenense had a red card in the first half and that all almost killed their chances. So, a lot went their way last year. And already this year, we've seen slip-ups, losing away to Orcas. Yes, they did field a weaker team, but then went away to New Blenzi, Libertadores debutants, who were held them to a one-all draw, and they've got a, their budget was is for their squad is like sixteen million, whereas um, Flamengo's is like one hundred and sixty million. So there have been a few sort of question marks around the performances at home. I think they can beat anybody, um, but obviously two leg affairs in the Libertadores might just catch them out. Yeah, exactly that. It's, it's just the luck of the draw and a bit of a, a bit of like the one-off game being your key standard here. You could probably say if things go their way again, not even go their way. I still think they could probably match any team, but I, if I have to be honest, I don't think they could probably beat this year's Boca and this year's River Plate the way they could have probably done so in previous years. Um. I still don't fancy them against Palmeiras to some degree. I just think that Abel Franco, is just, he, he knows how to play against Flamengo. That's just my theory. I, I feel like he knows how to set up defensively well. Yes, it's a bit too negative and someone would say, oh, it's, it's too defensive, they're parking the bus and so on. Well, yeah, that's, that's how you play against Flamengo at the end of the day because they have the offensive talent to kill you. But defensively they're shaky they have their issues in midfield they have like the, the depending on the formation they adapt because it could be a 4-1-2-1-2 a diamond basically it could be a 4-2-4 it could be a 4-3-3 as well it's just they have holes in their game it's a great squad but they have holes in their game and as such i think it's just down to tactical prowess and say if even fernando dinis right now with Fluminense is probably gonna beat them so I guess it's just a luck of the draw rather than a situation where they're outright favorites I wouldn't place them as outright favorites I think the bookies are placing them as outright favorites favorites just because of the names in the squad so let's talk about Palmeiras obviously Danilo and Gustavo Vescarpa moved on two huge players to replace but absolutely Gabriel Menino has sort of stepped into Danilo's role yes definitely not of the same quality, but he can definitely do a job in that defensive midfield role that we've seen Danilo move on and be more of an attacking player. So he was probably held with a few restrictions in that Palmeiras team. And then Scarpa has been replaced, but they've brought in Arta um, and he seems to, well, he scored two, three, no, sorry, three Libertadores goals already. And he's slotted in on the right-hand side. Palmeiras are a sensible team in Brazil, right? They've not strayed from that formation for a few years now, four at the back, two in the middle, and then they have attacking options. And with Rafael Vega just behind Ronnie, like what a powerful combination they have there. I'm surprised Rafael Vega hasn't made a move to the Premier League. And Yeah, me too. Maybe we should have spoken about that, um, but maybe that's for another episode. But the fact that he's 27, maybe his chances, if he's going to make a move to the Premier League, it's in the next year or two. But if he's comfortable at Palmeiras, boss in that position, and he is Mr. Palmeiras, isn't he? He's so... Yeah smooth and confident on the ball and he runs that team and he keeps them going but 
yeah, they they seem again like they're ready to bounce back from the disappointments from the last couple of seasons and regain that title with, like you said, they already beat Flamengo in the uh, recopper. And yeah, they they there's no real stopping them really. Yes, they've still got hold of Endrick for another for this season and half of next. So more attacking options off the bench. Are they going to win it? It seems like a, the perfect answer to me is is yes for now. I I'd say they probably. I was talking to my colleague who also covers like Brazil Serie A, and he he's very in the know as well. I think they they walk the league as well. Like I'm surprised Botafogo have started the way they have Mineiro as well, but. Atletico Mineiro, sorry, let me just clear that up. But um, to me, Palmeiras win that as well. Again, when it comes to the Libertadores, you mentioned that they have the they're the different team. They're the team that has kept up a bit, like in the old days, Manchester United, the way they didn't change much and just kept a, a successful call ongoing and ongoing and ongoing and kept winning on things. And yeah, as you said, Milo moved on, but I. Palmeiras are just good. They have a great manager. He knows how to win things. He's turned into a winner himself by managing Palmeiras the way he has. And yeah, sometimes a bit of luck comes their way. I wouldn't I wouldn't go on without mentioning that because they have I've seen a couple of goals that sometimes get they they get lucky, but you get that when you're a big club and when you push on for a victory twenty four seven when it comes to a game, obviously. I think I, I love I love Rafa Vega. I want to see he was linked to Chelsea at one point, and I was saying on the on a underrated note, he's actually a great sign. He would actually be a great signing to say back up the number ten position for Chelsea. But again, as you mentioned, he's he's a bit like Gabriel Barbosa, who's who's just comfortable in the setup that he's currently put in. He's the best player inside by far. Even though they boast the likes of the duo, Ronnie, which you mentioned. Hendrick as well to an extent, but he's he's not kicked on the way people expected him to. And I I I, I really like Palmeiras. To me, that they're they're great completed side that currently just needs to to carry on doing what they're doing. I don't want them to change much. As you mentioned, the departures haven't hit them the way that you would expect vital departures to hit a big club because they haven't looked at replacing them in a major way. Say Flamengo replaced people. In a major way, they lose someone. They buy Everton from Benfica, or buy back Pedro from Fiorentina, and he's <clears> amazing. Right, so you've heard it here first: Palmeiras to win the double and the Libertadores. We'll definitely clip that one up, and hopefully, we'll be right <laughs> in a few months' time. But look, Peter, thank you very much for coming on. Um, before you do go, I'm going to try and sign off the podcast with something which has caught my eye over the last week, and a certain Ryan Vitor, 16 years of age scored his first goal for Vasco da Gama. They did lose that match 2-1, but he became the second youngest player to score in the Brazilian top flight um, after a certain Palmeiras Endrick. So apparently Real Madrid are keeping tabs on him. So definitely one to go and check out. Go and check out his goal. The size of him for 16 is an absolute joke. He looks an absolute monster. Um, but yeah, thank you very much, Peter. Pleasure to have you on and you're welcome back at any time. No, it was my pleasure as well. Thanks. Thank you.